Brokehaven Lighthouse by M. R. Cosby Hello, Keeper. I have just discovered your excellent website about Brokehaven Lighthouse. I was born and brought up nearby and have recently moved back to the area. I have many memories and some old photographs of the lamps which used to be housed there. Only a few weeks ago my wife and I drove to nearby Kilbera Beach. We parked up on the heads, then walked out to the lighthouse. We were shocked and saddened to find the building in such poor condition. The doors are broken, the windows and lantern room glass are smashed and rubbish has been dumped inside. This vandalism is surely encouraged by its isolation, and made worse by the fact that the reserve is overgrown, making it no longer possible to see the lighthouse from Kilbarra Beach. I mentioned to my wife that I felt the lighthouse should be restored to its former glory. Perhaps if access to the area was improved, then vandalism could be stopped. As I have long been retired, I have plenty of time on my hands, so I would like to volunteer my services if such a project were undertaken. Is there anyone you can put me in touch with? Stanley Thompson Dear Stanley, The solution to rescuing Brokehaven Lighthouse needs to be a local one. Several years ago, a sizable grant was approved by the council to carry out renovations to the building and improvements to the site. The Crown Reserve Works and Community Operations Committee was formed in order to discuss the concern about the state of the light tower. Many options were considered to enable the lighthouse and headland to be turned into a major tourist draw. As a result, the building attached to the lighthouse was partially restored, but because of its isolation, was hit repeatedly by vandals. As you mention, it quickly deteriorated. I have had expressions of concern from some other local residents and I hope that they and others from the wider area might be willing to come together to see if some sort of ongoing restoration program can be established. Thank you for your interest. I have your details now, so I will contact you shortly when something is arranged. Malcolm P. Alderton, Bulletin Editor Stanley snapped the laptop shut. He had been balancing it on his arthritic knees for longer than was comfortable. Maggie, I've had a response to that email I sent. You remember? The one about the lighthouse. It came last week, but I haven't checked my mail for a while. His head pounded as he struggled to extricate himself from deep within the new sofa. Cushions were way too soft allowing him little chance of leverage. He swore to himself. Why had they renewed absolutely everything when they moved here? He was certain their old furniture would have been just fine in the new apartment. Surely it was too late in their lives to make such a completely fresh start. If a response came, it was too faint to hear, carried away by the running water of the shower, or... Was it next door's shower? The plumbing's so noisy here, he thought. The walls are so thin. There must be many complaints. He made a mental note to add to the list. He would speak his mind to David, the caretaker. 
What was his name Donald? Free of the sofa at last, Stanley padded stiffly across the still unfamiliar lounge. He eyed with suspicion the glass dining table he had so far been afraid to use, before carefully placing the computer on its shiny and unforgiving surface. He turned towards the bathroom to look for his wife, but the sound of the phone ringing stopped him in his tracks. To locate it, Stanley had to follow the sound. Hey, old man. The voice sounded like it came from a long way off. Howard, is that you? Stanley rubbed at the tender lump which had recently appeared on the side of his balding head. His son's voice sounded strangely unfamiliar. Is there something wrong? No, of course not. Don't you remember? I said I'd ring you every day until things get back to normal. Just to see how you're getting on. Stanley felt himself relax. It was good to hear Howard's voice. It's such a big change, you know, son. It'll take a while to get used to. Look, Dad, I know things haven't gone that smoothly down there. Maybe we did the wrong thing, but Annie and I were so sure that a fresh start was just what you needed. Well... And right there, so close to where you were born. Such a beautiful area, and still so quiet. I know you're unsettled right now. God knows you've got every right to be, but things can only get better. And the staff at the Ferns are on hand to look after you. There was a muffled altercation in the background, followed by shouting. Then came the sound of Howard's voice, alternately pleading and annoyed. Stanley smiled at the sudden bittersweet memory of being responsible for children. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. You know what kids can be like. Do I? Yes, I suppose I do. By the way, how's her? Jocelyn. Yes, really well. She has a good teacher this year, and she's in the soccer team now. And? Harry? Howard dropped his voice. He's struggling a bit. We're hoping the new school works for him. Not good so far, but it's early days yet. Anyway, I've told you all this before. When will you bring them to visit, son? The hesitation from the other end of the line broke Stanley's heart. We'll have to see. It's just that Annie's so busy. As you know, I often have to travel for work. They'd love it down here. There's so much open space. They could run wild. Not like in the middle of the city where you are. All that traffic and pollution. That can't be good for them. You know, they're a bit old to run wild in the woods these days. They're more interested in their computers. And remember, we don't live in the city now. That was back when Annie used to work. So, when are you coming? It's been such a long time. Dad, I was there a few days ago. I helped the removalists with the last of your packing cases. Don't you remember? Stanley frowned. Of course I do. But why did we have to get all these new things? What was wrong with all our old stuff? I've lost so many memories. His voice trailed off. It was the first time he had been brave enough to ask the question directly. He felt a tear trickle from the corner of his eye. 
He could not remember the last time he had cried. How long must it have been? At any rate, he didn't want to do so right now. At least not on the phone. Sorry, son. When you get to my age, you'll find that what happened in the past can feel more real than what's happening now. It's fine. I'll do my best to get down to see you next week. My project should be over by then, so I won't need to be in the office quite so much. That would be wonderful. Maggie will be so excited to hear. There was an awkward pause. Look, Dad, you know very well... Yes, yes, Stanley interjected. By the way, I forgot to tell you, I got a response from that email I sent about Brokehaven Lighthouse. There was another pause, as if Howard had been taken by surprise. What? Oh, yes, that place up on the headland. You loved it there, didn't you? I vaguely remember you taking me there when I was a boy. You know, it's just about derelict now. Such a shame. Apparently there's been some kind of grant from the council, so I'm thinking about volunteering to help do the place up. Well, that's great, Dad. I've always said you need a hobby to keep you occupied. Just make sure you don't overdo it. Remember what the doctor said about your heart. His heart? Stanley paused. Had old Weathers, the family doctor since way back when, been keeping something from him? Surely that wasn't right. He decided not to press Howard on the matter. There was no point in hearing such unwelcome news, especially at Stanley's age. Hmm. I'll see what Maggie says anyway. There was a sharp intake of breath at the other end of the line. He mumbled his goodbyes over the top of his son's objections, then replaced the receiver. Stanley tucked the newspaper under his arm. The sun blinked at him before bursting out from behind thick cloud cover as he struggled up the steep driveway from the mailboxes by the road. With the effort, his hands felt warm for the first time on that chilly autumn morning. By the time he got back to the foyer of the apartment building, he had ripped open the official-looking envelope. He didn't hear the caretaker say good morning as he passed the reception desk. He only noticed when Donald, or was it David, stooped to pick up the crumpled envelope that had fallen from his stiff fingers. Stanley entered the mirror-panelled lift, pressed the button for the first floor, then unfolded the letter. As the mechanism jerked into action, he began to read. Minutes of the Brokehaven Heads Lighthouse Steering Committee meeting held on Monday 28th of March 21 in Committee Room 3, City Administrative Centre, Boundary Road, Nullingham, commencing at 4.15pm. The following members were present. Councillor Black, Chairperson, Malcolm P. Alderton, Social Committee, Councillor Bloom, Willie Arnold, Aboriginal Land Council, Kelly Foyle, NCSC, Shelley Hancock, MP, Patrick Wiley, Marine Rescue Nullingham, Sue Howard, Hilborough Beach Association, Robert Clifford, Lighthouses Australia, John O'Halloran, Coastline Register, Frank Gollingham. Minutes of the previous meeting, resolved on a motion of Mark Ardle. He skimmed quickly over most of the report. However, near the end was a paragraph which took his eye. Recommended that Council consult with Nullingham Council Social Committee 
and also interested parties that express an interest in the proposed restoration and protection of the Brokehaven Headland Lighthouse, with the aim of finding a volunteer to live in the keeper's cottage for an extended period while the renovations take place. The motion, upon being put to the meeting, was declared carried. There being no further business, the meeting concluded, the time being 5.38pm, Councillor Black, Chairperson. At the foot of the last page, there was a neatly handwritten note. Hi, Stanley. I hope this is of some interest. If you're still looking to help with the renovations of Brokehaven Lighthouse, there will be a meeting of volunteers at the site at midday on Monday the 23rd. Perhaps you can join us there if you get this in time. If not, give me a ring. All the best. Malcolm Alderton a mobile phone number had been added below. He unfurled the newspaper to check the date. The meeting was scheduled for that very day. His mind raced with the possibilities. Stanley shuffled along the corridor towards the apartment. He stuffed the letter into his jacket pocket with unsteady hands. In his excitement, it took him several minutes to find his keys. By the time he had let himself in, filled the kettle and placed two cups on the draining board. He had decided exactly what he wanted to do. He couldn't offer much help in the way of genuinely hard work, but he could at least volunteer to stay at the lighthouse whilst the renovations took place. Living conditions would be basic at best, so there could be no question of Maggie joining him. He wondered what she might make of the idea. How long ago was it that they had last spent a night apart? Stanley poured the tea and took the cups through to the lounge. He placed them carefully on the coffee table, with his wife's cup on the left, just as he always did. He looked around. The apartment seemed much tidier than usual. Where was Maggie's knitting? Her paperbacks, usually strewn all around. In fact, the new bookshelves stood empty. Perhaps they had not finished all the unpacking yet. He pulled the letter from his pocket and went in search of his wife. Darling, this just arrived. I might be able to help out with the renovations up at Brokehaven after all. He was greeted by silence, apart from the muffled echoes of his own footsteps on the cold marble tiles as he searched the apartment. When he entered the bedroom, he smiled with relief as she walked towards him, holding something out for him to see. Then he realised it was his own reflection in the mirrored wardrobe doors. Uh, of course. On Mondays, Maggie was driven by a neighbour to a book club meeting over lunch at a cafe in Nullingham. She's always got her nose in a book. He supposed she must have left the apartment while he was collecting the mail. Or had it been when he emptied the bins earlier on and taken the back stairs down to the garage? This arrangement with the book club had begun as soon as they had moved in, and had instantly become part of Maggie's new life. At first he had assured her that the book club was a good idea, a good way to make new friends with others who shared her obsession. Now, however, he felt left out. The apartment felt so terribly empty without her. How long had she been gone? His eyes automatically searched for his alarm clock usually positioned so precisely on the edge of his bedside table by Maggie. It was not there. 
Surely it must have been there that morning to wake him as usual at seven sharp. But try as he might, he could not remember. Stanley tidied the bed. It was so unlike Maggie to make her sigh, and not his. She had certainly been a little distracted recently. Not quite herself. Perhaps she had been as unsettled as he was by the big move. Still, he thought, if Howard and Annie could bring the children to visit, it would create a welcome distraction for them both. A door slammed. Stanley called out his wife's name as he rushed through to the lounge. He was just in time to see the newspaper flutter as it fell from the coffee table to the floor. He must have forgotten to close the front door. It had swung shut in a draught. An impulse made him pull the door open and look down the corridor towards the lift. It was empty, yet he sensed that something was wrong. There was no noise at all. Not the usual sound of next door's TV set, nor the ever-present whirring of the lift, nor even the rumble and hiss of the plumbing which invariably echoed throughout the building. He used Maggie's footstool to prop the door open, then ventured along the corridor, paused right outside their neighbour's door, listening. He inclined his head slowly until his brow almost touched the wood veneer. All he could hear was the beat of his own heart. Stanley looked at his watch. It was showing a quarter to eleven. If he was to get out to the lighthouse in time, he would have to hurry. It was at least half an hour's drive, followed by a fair walk. Maggie would not be back until late afternoon at the earliest. Prospect of being at home on his own for hours did not appeal to him. Back in the apartment, Stanley retrieved his mobile phone from the top drawer of the new sideboard. Perhaps he should phone Malcolm Alderton to say he might be late. He tapped the number in. There was no sign of a connection. The network coverage was really not so good away from the city. Annoyed, he tucked the phone into his trouser pocket, then picked up his winter jacket from the stand behind the front door. At the last moment, he remembered his cup of tea. He drank it in one go, emptied Maggie's cup down the sink, rinsed them both out, and placed them upturned on the draining board. Maggie never liked to come home to a mess. Clouds hung low and the day darkened despite the hour as Stanley drove east towards the coast. Once clear of Nullingham, the narrow road widened, then transformed into a dual carriageway. Houses were few and far between, nestled beyond deep stretches of waste ground, obscured by rusty abandoned cars, waiting to be subsumed by the earth. Stanley shivered, then tried in vain to adjust the sluggish air conditioning in the old Subaru. He couldn't remember the last time he had tried to get heat from it. Eventually, he turned the unit off, then reached across to the passenger seat to pull his jacket across his knees. He had forgotten how cold it could get this far south. All he could find on the radio was talkback, fading in and out from a wall of static. He left it on low, for the company at least. As Stanley crested the top of a hill, the steely expanse of the ocean appeared before him, darker even than the sky and pockmarked by white horses. A violent gust of wind buffeted the car, 
the first of the rain scattered across the windscreen. The steering wheel writhed in his hands as the suspension went light. The Subaru squirmed across two lanes and almost slid into the ditch beside the road before Stanley managed to regain control. The danger passed once he reached the more sheltered downhill stretch. That was close. Thankfully, there was no other traffic around. For the first time, it struck him as unusual that he hadn't seen another vehicle on the road since leaving Nottingham. Perhaps the weather had kept people at home. Stanley swiped the brittle wand on the dashboard to operate the aging, recalcitrant wipers. They did little more than smear the windscreen, but he knew, given time, his view would clear. By instinct, he reached out to hold Maggie's hand, to reassure his wife that all was well. She had always been a nervous passenger. He thought of the drive home from the country hospital forty years ago, and as usual, Stanley felt the heat of the blood as it rushed to his face. That morning, Maggie had been in the back seat, nursing their newborn first child, Keith, in her arms. He had driven so slowly, so carefully, yet somehow he hadn't noticed the traffic lights change to red. After the impact, he had tried to convince himself he'd been justified in glancing over his shoulder at his precious son. If only his attention hadn't strayed from the road. If only it hadn't been him who had been spared from injury so completely. If only Maggie could have made a similar effort at forgiveness. But perhaps that was too much to ask. At least, given time, Maggie had recovered from the trauma. Hadn't she? His mind jolted back to the present as his jacket slipped between his legs into the darkness of the footwell. As he reached down for it, he almost missed the road for Kilborough Beach. He had to swerve at the very last moment to make the corner. The Subaru's tyres squealed on the wet road. Sorry, love, he said instinctively. Damn it, you nearly missed the turn-off. What? How can I trust you any more, Stan? You always were so careless. If you'd only kept your eyes on the road, things would have been so different. It felt like he'd been punched in the gut. They hadn't spoken openly about the incident before. He had never known her deepest feelings. Nor, if he was honest with himself, had he wanted to. You never could do anything on your own, could you, Stanley? Maybe your scars healed. But mine never got the chance. Mentally or physically. He blinked rapidly to banish his tears and forced himself to twist around and look into the back of the car. Maggie's torn and bloody face stared at him. Her bloodshot eyes were brimful of accusation. The infant body of Keith, the elder brother that Howard had never had the chance to meet, slipped from her broken arms. Instinctively he lunged back at them, just as he had done so many years ago, but this time... The seatbelt gripped him and jerked him back into the driver's seat. Stanley drove on, going through the motions as if in a dream. The rain flooded the road and the wind lifted the wipers from the screen. 
He had to slow right down as he approached the first of the traffic islands, which heralded the outskirts of Kilborough. He'd been barely aware of the journey unfolding, and not at all aware of how he'd managed to find the narrow access road which led to the car park. The hedges to either side of its entrance were wildly overgrown, obscuring the open gate. Stanley drove over the loose cattle grid into the roughly gravelled car park. The Subaru's suspension groaned as it bounced through potholes filled with rainwater. There were only two vehicles in the car park. A minibus, parked next to a rusty old ute covered in bull bars and CB radio aerials. With so much choice, it took Stanley some time to decide where to park. In the end, he turned the car around and parked close to the gate, so as to avoid being blocked in if anyone else arrived. At last, Stanley could relax. He killed the engine, pulled the handbrake on, closed his eyes, then rested his head on the rim of the steering wheel. He listened to the wind, the rain battering the windscreen, the hiss of the sea, and the screams of the seagulls. Beneath all these sounds, however, the crackle and hiss of static still came from the radio. He opened his eyes, sat back in his seat, and reached out to turn it off. You'll never be rid of me. Stanley pulled his hand away as if his fingers had been burnt. Without thinking, he glanced into the back of the car, and it was empty. Then the voice, Maggie's voice, continued in a softer but mocking tone. You always were a coward, despite your precious army memories. You want rid of me, so that you can forget about what you did in the past. What you don't realize is, without me, you'll be too lonely to carry on. White noise drowned out the words, and Stanley realized that it had been the radio all along. He had inadvertently tuned into some kind of dramatic production. It all makes sense now. He switched the radio off, grabbed his jacket, and opened the car door. The moment he climbed from the Subaru, the rain stopped, and the wind barely ruffled his jacket as he pulled it across his shoulders. He stretched his legs, locked the car, then set off for the lighthouse. Stanley shivered as he made his way along the lonely track out to the peninsula. The sudden stillness had been welcome, but emphasised just how cold it was. The hems of his trousers were already soaked through, despite his best efforts to avoid the puddles. He looked at his watch. It was almost midday. At least, Stanley thought, there's only one path. If the others were to leave the lighthouse before his arrival, he would meet them as they made their way back down to the car park. The gradual climb up to the gum trees on the headland made his thighs burn and his chest heave. He was grateful to be able to take a break by sitting on a sign which pointed the way to the lighthouse. Its message, he noticed sadly, was barely legible beneath sprawling graffiti. He waited for his breathing to return to normal. Eventually, a few spots of icy rain and his even colder hands 
encouraged him to continue his journey with renewed purpose. Once he had passed through the dense bushland beyond the trees, the going became easier. On the downhill stretch towards the rocky and isolated bay, Stanley realised he was picking his way gingerly between the very tree roots he had skipped around and jumped over so many years before. He waited in vain for the satisfying sense of nostalgia the landscape should bring. On such a cold and grey day, however, his mind would not settle. He was far more concerned about the figure standing on the trail ahead of him, staring out to sea. Stanley's stride faltered as he approached the stranger. The man turned towards him. There was something familiar in his swarthy, weather-beaten face. Something unwelcome. G'day, mate, the man said. It would have been absurd to walk by without responding, or to turn and run. When was the last time he had tried to run? So he stood his ground and did his best not to flinch under the other's gaze. He forced a nod and a smile. Hope the rain stays off, Stanley said. The little buggers out there don't care. With a sweep of his arm, the stranger indicated the expanse of sea, the fish within and the tangle of fishing equipment spread across a few rocks. Not much luck earlier on, but I reckon this avo should be better. As he turned and stared back out to the horizon, distracted for a moment, Stanley took the opportunity to continue on his way. He crept past, taking as wide a berth as possible. As he did so, the stranger turned on his heel and reached out and grasped his elbow. Stanley looked down at the wrinkled and weather-beaten hand on his arm. On your way up to the lighthouse? I don't see what that's got to do with... The grip tightened on Stanley's elbow. A fair few fellows went up there an hour or so back. The stranger said. I suppose you'll be seeing them if you go on up there. They told me they're looking to do the place up. About time too, if you ask me. The place attracts nothing but trouble these days. It was pointless for Stanley to deny it. After all, where else would he be going? Well, yes, as it happens, I am on my way to the lighthouse. I'm going to see if I can help out with the restoration. I'm late, so I can't stop and chat, I'm afraid. As soon as the hand dropped from his arm, Stanley jerked away. It was nice to meet you. He lied. But... Good luck with the fishing this afternoon. I saw you along here. A week or so back. Stanley froze. You had someone with you. Your wife, was it? If you don't mind me asking. Stanley now felt angry as well as frightened. The stranger gazed out to sea shielding his face from the sporadic raindrops with the hand that had so recently gripped Stanley's elbow. The lowering cloud was threatening a storm. Well, that's my business and nobody else's, Stanley said. I must get going. The weather's closing in. There's not much goes on around here I don't know about, the stranger said. He turned his head slowly and looked directly at Stanley for the first time. There was a look in his eyes, as if he expected Stanley to show some sign of recognition. 
The edge of his mouth curled upwards in a cruel way. You came back down the trail a few hours later. I don't see it's any of your business. On your own. They looked at each other in silence. The first gust of wind Stanley had felt since leaving the car whipped his jacket open. He buttoned it up to his neck as he considered his response. My wife felt uneasy up at the lighthouse, so she left before I did. In any case, she finds it difficult to walk at my slow pace. You must have noticed she's a fair bit younger than me, much more active. Stanley paused. He tried to focus his mind on the events of that day, but something was missing. Had Maggie really left before him? He couldn't remember. All he knew was that they'd had some kind of argument. It was important to get the facts straight. Why did he feel the need to justify himself, least of all to this rock fisherman, whom he had never knowingly seen before? His mind was a muddle. Stanley walked away. The stranger spoke again, but his words were stolen by the wind, so Stanley kept going without looking back. He didn't stop until he had climbed the steepest section of the track and reached the headland. Here, the ghost gums were stretched out taut by the prevailing wind, arched over the mess of thick undergrowth. The trail was thrown into heavy shadow. Stanley turned and looked back down to the bay. The stranger sat on the rocks, gazing out to sea, surrounded by his fishing equipment. As Stanley entered the small clearing which surrounded the lighthouse, he experienced the familiar sense of isolation which had been such an important part of his childhood. Back when the light had been operational, the headland had been kept clear to ensure it was visible from way out to sea. However, since its demise, little work had been done, so the bushland encroached upon the building, shielding it from the elements and insulating it against the roar of the ocean. The air in the clearing was unnaturally still. The tops of the surrounding trees danced in the wind, but Stanley could neither feel nor hear anything, as though he was watching a silent film. I can't even hear the raindrops, he thought. But he could see pinpricks of light from within the dark spaces between the trees. It looked like there were countless pairs of glinting eyes, watching him from the shadows, as though he were surrounded. Stanley tried to put this thought out of his mind. Brokehaven Lighthouse squatted in the exact centre of this lonely space. The brick-built structure consisted of a plain tower, attached to a single-storey keeper's cottage, with a single boarded-up window, next to an open door and a chimney on the end wall. Atop of the tower, the lantern room's glass was broken, so it had been protected by a rusty iron framework wrapped in wire mesh and clear plastic sheeting. The building had once been whitewashed, but most of the paint had peeled away from the deteriorating bricks beneath. Stanley waded through knee-high thicket towards the lighthouse. He still wondered at the silence. There was no sign of Malcolm Alderton and the other volunteers. Perhaps they were in the cottage, but he could still hear nothing. He noticed then that the door had been replaced since his last visit. Previously it had been nothing more than a thin sheet of splintered plywood, backed 
backed by a spindly iron frame. Now a solid wooden door, complete with a substantial deadlock, stood ajar. On the jam was an industrial-looking keypad. As Stanley swung the door open, the smell of disinfectant caught his throat. Hello? Mr. Alderton? For a moment, Stanley could see nothing in the dark interior of the building. Once his eyes had adjusted and he could make out the familiar shape of the room within, he stepped inside. Cracks of cold grey light from around the edge of the boarded-up window illuminated the rough, neglected cabinetry of the kitchen area. He looked around. A sink had been newly installed beneath the window. The plumbing must have been replaced as water was dripping soundlessly from a tap onto its shiny surface. Graffiti still covered the walls, but the place had been cleared out and scrubbed clean. There was no sign of the piles of old newspapers, beer cans and broken glass that used to make the place so hazardous. Stanley squinted at the fireplace. The open grate was piled high with combustibles, twisted pieces of newspaper, torn items of clothing, even what looked like old paperback books, all topped off by a few substantial logs, ready to light. Two camping chairs stood facing each other in the centre of the room. It was only then that he noticed the movement from the far corner. A figure was bent over in front of a small door, struggling with the lock. Stanley cleared his throat as noisily as he dared. <clears throat> Excuse me, he said. Mr. Alderton, is it? There was no response. Stanley walked across the room, then reached out to touch the other on the shoulder. I say, are you? At Stanley's touch, the man jumped up, then spun around in alarm. His face was covered in a sheen of moisture, despite the chill in the air. I'm so sorry, the man said. He reached up to a small plastic device behind his ear, almost but not quite hidden by his wiry grey hair. I don't hear too well, I'm afraid. I'm always having to adjust this thing. The high-pitched whistling sound pierced the stillness, then faded away. It's quite all right. I take it you must be Mr. Thompson. Stanley, isn't it? Stanley nodded. He grasped the hand extended towards him. I'm pleased to meet you, Mr. Alton, he said, as loudly as he dared. Thanks for getting in touch. I'm most eager to help out with these renovations. There was an awkward silence. Stanley thought he might need to raise his voice still more. Please, call me Malcolm, the man said at last. And yes, you must be eager. Very much so. Stanley did not know quite how to respond. With a start, he realised their hands were still clasped. He pulled his hand away rather too vigorously, then reached into his pocket to retrieve his handkerchief. As he wiped his palm, he heard a tinkling sound. He looked down to see a small key glinting in the weak light on the concrete floor. It must have fallen from his pocket. Before Stanley could react, however, Malcolm had picked it up. Thanks so much for your offer to help us with this project, he said. And then he handed the key back to Stanley. You might be wondering where the other volunteers are. I'm afraid we didn't get much of a response from local residents. Not one, so far. 
apart from you, of course. So we reverted to plan B. He smiled, then adjusted his hearing aid once more. Oh, just so that you know, plan B involves the Department of Corrective Services. Stanley frowned. Oh, you mean to supply labour? Oh, that's right. We've been given a group of young offenders carrying out their community service. He lowered his voice and leaned towards Stanley. Just between you and me, they're a mixed bunch. Most of them ain't much use. Can't blame them, I suppose, although you'd think they'd be happy to get outside into the fresh air. By the way, did you see any of them on your way up here? I do hope they haven't wandered off into the bush again. Stanley thought of the glinting eyes he thought he'd seen in the shadows between the trees. But he could not be sure. Well, as a matter of fact, no, I can't say I did. Everything was quiet when I arrived. Too quiet, Stanley thought. Damn, I'll have to see what's going on out there. They're meant to be cutting back the undergrowth, ready for the landscaping work to start in a few weeks. He went out through the door, then looked around. No, you're right. I can't see anyone. You know, it's a full-time job just keeping an eye on that lot. Anyway, first things first. As you're here, let's talk about what you can do for us. Back inside, he steered Stanley by the arm across the room. They sat down, facing each other on the camping chairs. Stanley swallowed hard. He was as nervous as he could ever remember. Well, as I mentioned in my email, I'm very fond of this lighthouse. I have wonderful memories of my father bringing me up here when I was a youngster. So if I can help in any way, I'd be delighted. Malcolm nodded. I'm sure you've noticed the work we've done so far. The place is quite livable. We've got water, for a start. He nodded at the sink. Luckily, we got permission from the council to sink a borehole round the back. I've just finished attaching the lock to the new door, so for the first time in years, the place is secure. Well, there's also a brand new gas camping stove in the cupboard by the sink. We haven't got electricity yet, though. That's what I was going to ask you about. Fire away, Stanley said, gaining confidence. Ideally, what we need is someone to be living here while the power is connected. Cables will need to be laid, a fuse box installed and sockets fitted. Apparently it'll take a good few days. I can't spare the time away from the office. So we need someone to be on the site to allow access to the building and keep an eye on things. What kind of caretaker, you could say. It was more than Stanley could have asked for. I'm happy to help. Living in will be no problem. Are you sure? It's a bit basic in here. Although, as you can see, we've cleaned up the bunks over there and we've replaced the mattresses. There's new linen, too. And I'm really looking forward to it. The whole thing reminds me of my army days. It'll be an adventure for me. By the way, Stanley, you mentioned your wife in the email. Will she be with you on your adventure? Maggie? Oh, it's not her kind of thing at all, I'm afraid, Stanley said. He felt uncomfortable as Malcolm raised a quizzical eyebrow. Oh, really, she'll hardly miss me at all. 
Malcolm nodded, then stood up. He walked over to the far corner of the room. Right now, I'm trying to get this door open. It seems to be locked, or at least the handle is thoroughly jammed. Stanley watched in silence as Malcolm struggled with the mechanism. Must lead down to the cellar. These buildings usually had a cellar in which supplies were stored for the winter months. But it just won't budge. In any case, I've arranged for a locksmith to visit later in the week, when you'll be here to let them in. It'll be interesting to see what's down there. Stanley felt the skin crawl on the back of his neck. I can start right away, he said hurriedly. First thing in the morning, and for as long as is needed. It's certainly very good of you, Stanley. To be frank, it's more than I was expecting. As I mentioned, you've been our only volunteer so far. You're sure it won't be too much for you? No, not at all. Stanley stopped himself. Something told him he should try not to come across as overly enthusiastic. Let's agree on the morning, men. At this stage, we should only need you until Friday. Although these things do have a tendency to drag on a bit, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. Well, I'm retired, of course, so I can be as flexible as necessary. Just then, a loud cracking sound came from outside. It sounded to Stanley like a branch being split away from the trunk of a tree. It was followed by raucous shouting. Malcolm's head jerked in the direction of the door. Stanley noticed once again the beads of sweat on the man's brow, despite the cool weather. Oh, I'm sorry, but I've got to go. Unfortunately, I have to deal with these boys. They have to be back at the institution by four o'clock. And the minibus I borrowed has to be back too. Will you walk down to the car park with us? Or do you want to see what else we've done to the lighthouse before you go? We've carried out some worthwhile renovations on the tower already. The lamp has been removed to have its lenses replaced. You know, it has more than a hundred separate... Stanley was not listening. He looked around the interior of the keeper's cottage until his gaze settled on the small locked door across the room. He realised that Malcolm had stopped talking. If you don't mind, I'll stay a while before I make a move. My wife isn't due home from her book club until later this afternoon, so I've nothing to rush home for. Well, that's settled then, Malcolm said. They shook hands. It's been a pleasure to meet such a caring member of our community. Here's the code for the lock on the front door of the cottage. He handed over a slip of paper, which Stanley folded, then placed in his wallet. Only you and I have a copy of the number, at least for now. Needless to say, don't show it to anyone else. He winked as he clapped a hand on Stanley's shoulder. Stanley watched from the open door as Malcolm strode across the thicket towards the surrounding bush. As his figure disappeared into the shadows and the shouting started, Stanley swung the door shut. He was alone once more. Restoration work on the interior of the lighthouse had indeed begun in earnest. The iron staircase, which wound its way up the tower, had been replaced. Pleasant memories flooded back as he was able to stand once more on the concrete plinth which formed the lantern room at the top. 
Stanley peered out through the wire and peeled back some of the thick plastic sheeting which protected the interior of the lighthouse from the elements. The view was very different to the spectacular expanse of sea and sky he remembered so clearly. All Stanley could see now were the tops of trees and the heavy, overgrown bush. A mere glimpse of the iron-grey sea blending into the clouds in the distance was scarce reward for his climb. He stood back, disappointed. He looked at his watch. It was later than he thought. Maggie would be home in an hour, and she would wonder where he was. He hurried back down the stairs and out through the front door. Once he'd double-checked that he still had the combination to the lock in his wallet, he pulled the door shut behind him. The going was much easier for his march back down to the car park, and Stanley managed to set a good pace. He felt like his blood was pumping well, despite the increasing chill in the air. He felt vigorous and clear-headed for the first time since... since the move to the ferns, at least. Since my army days? No, maybe not quite that long ago. He was pleased that there was no sign of the fisherman as he passed the bay. By the time the car park came into view, at the end of the sandy incline, partly covered by overhanging trees, the shadows were impenetrable, and night was about to fall. With relief, he stumbled across the uneven ground towards his Subaru, which now stood alone in the car park. Stanley glanced down as he searched through his jacket pockets for his car keys. Once he found them, he looked back up to see that the gate to the car park was closed, and that the dark silhouette of a figure stood on the other side of the gate. Perhaps, he hoped, it was not yet locked. I say! Stanley called out as he hurried towards the figure. Can you leave the gate open, please? I need to get my car out to drive. As he got closer, he could see that it was the fisherman. The ute, which had been in the car park earlier, stood on the road behind him. The fisherman said nothing. He turned and climbed up into the vehicle's cab. Stanley reached the gate, waving his arms and shouting. The ute had already started off down the access road a cloud of diesel fumes. Stanley stood still, feeling impotent and annoyed. He glared at the large padlock hanging from a latch welded to the gate's hefty tubular frame. It was locked securely. Stanley glanced around to see that there was no other exit through which vehicles could leave the car park, then resigned to his fate. He turned and trudged to the Subaru. Now it was even more important that he should contact Maggie. He dug out his mobile phone, but there was no signal at all. He swore to himself under his breath. There was nothing else for it. He would have to make his way back up to the lighthouse. The only alternative would be to sit it out in the Subaru, but it was almost dark and getting very cold. It felt like there might be a frost. He couldn't risk it if he had to stay overnight especially as the car's heater was ineffective. Besides, if he hurried, he might make it back to the keeper's cottage before it was properly dark. Stanley thought longingly of the fire set out in the grate, ready for lighting, and of the bed which was waiting for him. At least he was able to retrieve his torch from the boot of the Subaru. Despite night having fallen, 
The clearing sky and the bright, gibbous moon meant that Stanley barely needed the torch on his way back up to the headland. By the time the familiar shape of the lighthouse appeared from between the trees, his chest was heaving. He had long been reduced to a mere shuffle along the trail. Not far to go now and I'll be home. After he had shuffled into the clearing, he stopped and waited for his breathing to return to normal. Once the sound of his heart pounding in his ears had subsided, the silence was as complete as it had been earlier on that day. But something had changed. Smoke now swirled from the chimney at the end of the building, wafting against the clear sky, making the stars glitter. Stanley was puzzled. Surely the fire had not been burning when he left. Someone must have entered the lighthouse while he was away. Yet Malcolm had assured him that no one else knew the code number. Summoning all his courage, Stanley approached the door to the cottage. He pulled the piece of paper from his wallet, checked the number, then punched the sequence into the keypad. Hello? Anyone there? he shouted as he opened the heavy door. The cottage looked and felt different. Its warmth welcomed him with open arms. The graffiti on the walls was no longer visible in the flickering, uncertain light from the fire. The bottom bunk on which the new linen had recently been piled was freshly made up. One of the chairs had been positioned as a bedside table. On it stood a glass of water and an alarm clock, as though arranged by Maggie. Stanley looked closely. It looked like his own alarm clock, the very one that was missing from his bedside table that morning. His head spun. The fire popped and crackled, making him jump. Glowing logs shifted and almost toppled from the grate, sending sparks onto the concrete floor. Stanley crossed the room to tend to the fire. If he had to stay for the night, he would need to keep warm. Beside the fireplace was a stack of firewood, a pile of books, and some old newspapers. The poker was leaning against the fireplace, so he used it to push the log back into place. The paperback within the pile of kindling was merely charred at the edges. Its cover flipped up, then it caught light. Before the rest of the book followed suit, he saw his wife's name written in her familiar scrawl on the folio page. He looked at the other books by the fireplace and realised with a shock that he recognised all their covers from the bookshelves back in the apartment. Stanley did not feel the poker falling from his hand. His heart raced and his breath jumped into his throat in bursts. He remembered the comment his son Howard had made about his heart, and he feared that each breath might be his last, that he might die here. He clutched his chest and collapsed onto one of the camping chairs. Eventually his heart settled, letting him breathe normally once more. What had happened here? He looked into the corner of the room at the cellar door. Sweat seeped into the corners of his eyes. The room was far too warm, and his head ached. He tried to haul himself from the chair, 
but his limbs felt so heavy that he only succeeded in slumping further down into its clutches. As he fumbled the mobile phone from his pocket, Key tumbled to the floor for the second time that day. Stanley could only watch as it glinted in the firelight. He tried to reach out, to pick it up, but every movement had become a struggle, forcing him to conserve what little strength he had left. With shaking fingers, he tapped his wife's number into his phone. The display showed there was no signal, yet after a pause, he heard the faint unmistakable ringtone of Maggie's phone. From somewhere behind the small wooden door leading to the cellar. In desperation he pressed the phone to his ear. The ringing stopped abruptly as the phone was answered. At the other end of the line he heard the intake of a familiar breath. Then Stanley knew he wouldn't be spending the coming night alone. After all, today's story was Brokehaven Lighthouse by M. R. Cosby. It was read by Jasper Lestrange. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, sweet dreams. <laughs>